Welcome everybody to Crystal Kyle and Friends. Hope everybody's having a good day. Although you know it's kind of difficult to nowadays. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been a rough one. Um, the the shooting itself and all the news surrounding that was like tough enough to to talk about and get through and dwell on and think about. But then uh, you know watching the reaction to it, it just it reminded me how just totally soulless and broken our political discourse is. You know. Everybody, before they know anything, immediately reaches for, like, whatever their particular, like, culture war obsession is at that moment and then just tries to, like, feed whatever happened through that lens, even when the facts are completely different from what they want them to be. Yeah, and to be fair, I don't think when people on the left jump immediately to talking about guns, I think that's rational. I don't think that's like, you know, let me find my niche culture war issue. I think yeah. that's like, let me actually try to find the thing that would stop this from happening. Yes. Whereas on the right, there's just so many. I mean, I did a segment talking about 50, 50 plus just deranged solutions they gave where they were just bending over backwards. They turned into Neo from the Matrix to avoid talking about guns at all. They were like, oh. Right. Well, the, the thing that... Um, first of all, let me say that I agree with your point in terms of the thing that I hate is when people are like, oh, we can't talk about politics. We have to, like, just grieve. Well, of course this is a political situation. Everything's political, yeah. Everything's political. The conditions that created the society that leads to us having these mass shootings over and over and over again in a way that other countries don't, of course those conditions are political. So just to be clear— I think this is political. It's political from the beginning. It should be discussed in a political way because that's just our way of coming together as a society and saying these horrific things keep happening, shocking all of our conscience. What are we actually going to do about it together? In terms of the particular difficulties the right has had this week in responding to this tragedy is their normal go-to is we need more good guys with guns. Well, in this instance, First of all, the quote-unquote good guys with guns were there on the scene from the beginning. And the more we learn, the more we see dramatic failures. And, of course, those good guys with guns, scores of them that were on the scene, were unable to prevent 19 children and two adults from being massacred. I'd go further. I think they chose not to prevent it. They made the decision not to prevent it. I think every single cop in the Uvalde, Texas, police department who was in any way— even a roundabout way, involved with basically the stand-down order and holding the perimeter to stop the parents from going in, every one of them should be behind bars. I don't know what criminal charges you can come up with in order to lock them up. There's obviously a very unique situation, and I don't know what laws there are around it. Yeah. But at the very least, I want the parents to sue the pants off of the entire police department, and I want them all to get paid. I want them all to get millions and millions of dollars. Not that that would make up for the fact that they just There's lost no, their nine-year-old yeah, kids. There will be no But justice. no, they should absolutely— And there was—by the way, there was an armed guard at the school. Yeah. And the armed guard well, didn't stop it. And, and the stories— kept changing. They clearly lied. They were covering, the up, beginning. covering their asses. Completely. I mean, even some of the basics of the initial reports were he was wearing body armor. So that was an excuse of why they weren't able to actually like disable him before he even got into the school. Oh, he was wearing body armor. Well, it turns out that wasn't true. And even if he was, you still got to fucking try. Exa Go well, try. And that, what is your job? But that was, and that was the other piece was the initial report was that the, uh, the school officer who was armed, that he quote unquote engaged with him outside of the school with the implication being that there was gunfire exchange and he was trying to take this guy down even before he went into the school. Well, that report has evolved as well to, no, he didn't fire at him. He just let him go into the school and then followed him in. Then they tried to say, oh, we contained him 
in a classroom. My ass. Contained him in a classroom where he was left free to slaughter 19 children and two adults for over an hour. I mean, the idea that this was some like tactical decision. No, he ran into that classroom where he committed his massacre and you didn't bar, you did nothing for an hour. I mean, so anyway, they're good guys with guns narrative is not going to work out in this regard. Well, so they've got to go to anything and everything else that they possibly can to, to avoid fair. talking about what is, you know, clearly like it's not an answer to everything, but some of these basic reforms that have been popular and have been routinely blocked, that's the obvious direction to go in. To be fair, there was a good guy with a gun. It was a Customs and Border Patrol yeah, that's true. officer who went in there and killed the guy. And that's the only person in this entire story who is commendable. Everybody else is shameful, and I'm not kidding when I say they should be locked behind bars. They're all completely guilty. I don't hear a single fucking word out of them because they were lying from the beginning the second they opened their damn mouths. Yeah. And I'm equally as mad at the officers as I am at the fucking mass murder. How about that? You like that? How's that for a controversial take? They stood there and didn't do their jobs when they should have done their jobs. Look, I digress. Let's get into a different angle of, of this story because this is something that I wanted to talk about on my channel. Um, I didn't have the time yet, but I could also get your take on it now too. So uh, Candace Owens decided to chime in on, in this whole tragedy. And you know, what a wonderful person to hear from when you're talking about a tragedy in a mass shooting where you have dead bodies of children involved. So she says, and I quote, mental illness is now high fashion in Western society. But when tragedy strikes, all of the individuals and institutions that perpetuate mental illness pretend to be shocked. Quote, how could this happen in a society that discourages masculinity and puts children on puberty blockers? So in, in case that's a little uh, you know, unclear what she's saying there, let me break it down for you into layman's terms. She's saying, ultimately, the people really responsible for what happened here are trans people and people who support trans people. That's who's responsible for the shooting. That's the argument that she's making. There are so many things I can say about it. I mean, right <laughs> off the bat, look. What? Just that first line, mental illness is now high fashion in Western society. What does that even mean? I don't even know what that means. Here's the reality. Mental illness used to have a massive stigma on it where you can't even say, I have anxiety, I have depression, I have whatever. There used to be like, just don't ask, don't tell policy when it comes to mental health. In recent times, that stigma has kind of, sort of, not really begun to lift just a little bit, where now people can mention, I have depression, I have anxiety, or whatever. What she's saying is, oh, no, no, now you're glorifying mental illness, and that's how we got to where we are right now. No, it would be nice if we lived in a society where people could be honest about the problems that they face, and then they get, you know, support from people around them. This idea that, what, you're holding it up on a pedestal is the idea we're trying to, like, act like this guy was some sort of hero before they did what they did? Well, I, I'm so confused by this. I mean, I'm not confused because obviously this goes to the point of you just take whatever your particular like culture war obsessions are of the moment and then weirdly glom them on to something that has nothing to do with any of this. Nothing at all. And then also though, I mean, people like Candace Owens and others on the right were the ones who were deeply concerned about mental health during COVID lockdowns. But now suddenly it's like, mental health, you know, who cares if that's crazy to be obsessed with that and no, you people are glorifying it. I think she's saying mental health is the problem, but like the it's trans issues fashion. are, trans issues are the result of the mental health crisis. I don't even know what she, by the way, okay, there was a, there was a rumor going around that started on 4chan that right. the person who did the shooting, uh, it was transgender, a leftist and an undocumented immigrant. And it turns out not a single one of those things are true. You want to know why? Because 4chan is dog shit. That's why. They just make stuff up. They're conspiracy theorists. They're a bunch of weirdos. Uh, totally, 
disconnected from society, complete hacks politically. And we had a congressman, Representative Paul Gosar, yeah. casually tweeted it as if it was factual. And right. then uh, for the first time in his life, maybe ever, he took a, just a, a modicum of accountability and was like, oh shit, this isn't true. And then he deleted the tweet, but he put it up there anyway. It, like you said, this all has to do with, I don't like trans people. How can I find a way to spin this story in a way that goes after trans people when trans people have absolutely nothing to do with it. Totally but by irrelevant. The way, even if the shooter was trans, even if the shooter was trans, right? That wouldn't mean anything, right? If a gay shooter does it, if a gay person does a shooting, does that mean like all gay people are somehow responsible? Mass murderers. There's something inherently villainous about gay people, and they're all mass murderers. Or you know, nobody ever said if there's like, uh, you know, uh let's say a young white male who does a shooting, which is a relatively common occurrence, right. relatively speaking. And right. does that mean that, you know, some some 18 year old white kid is by definition, like collectively guilty for it because they share the same sort of identity? Yeah, or somehow is? like inherently, you know, seated with evil because he's a young white male. Yeah, it's a ridiculous, it's a ridiculous notion. And then, I mean, the immediate place I saw people um, on the right go with this was the moment that his name was released. There was this instant assumption of like, must be an illegal, must be one of the illegals. And then, of course, it comes out, no, he's from North Dakota. Thank you very much. But, you know, there are so many dodges. I mean, I saw some, uh, let's be clear too, I did see some ridiculous takes from the left as well, feeding things through their uh, own, you know, cultural yeah, like this guy was pro-gun and he supported Kyle Rittenhouse. Yeah. Therefore, so what? It's okay his daughter his died? Daughter got, yeah. His fucking nine-year-old innocent daughter? Like, what are you talking about? The other, that one, relevant? the other one I saw a lot of was this take of, okay, so the white buffalo shooter is taken alive, but this one is killed on the scene as evidence of like, people basically saying like, they should have been able to take him alive too. Which, I mean, listen, in an ideal world, sure, he stands trial and has to, but, but I, the thing I'm upset about is that they didn't go in there faster and take this guy out sooner. So again, there's just this instinct to whatever your sort of priors are, whatever your particular obsessions are, whatever you think your base is or your audience's obsessions are, forget about the facts. Just go ahead and put it out there and get your tweets and your your retweets and your likes. Um, Gosar was a particularly uh, disgraceful and obvious example. And this dude's a member of Congress, you know? And, uh, yeah. And just happy to take whatever bullshit is, is percolating on 4chan and spread it like it's fact. It's ridiculous. The point from Candace is like, the fact that we have trans people and some trans acceptance is evidence of broken institutions and a corrupt system and a decaying society. What I find astonishing is that somebody like Candace Owens can look at our country and everything that's going in uh, on in it right now, mm -hmm. and she goes to trans people as her go-to like evidence of a downfall of society. What about, oh, I don't know, the... 30 million Americans that don't have health insurance in the midst of a pandemic or the 45,000 Americans that die every year because they don't have basic health care yeah. or the fact that half of working people make $30,000 a year or less. Like I could list the fact that homelessness is skyrocketing. They say that we only have only have 400,000 or 500,000 homeless people. There's a, way more than that at this point, I think. So you you look at all these problems outside. How about the fact that we're a permanent war culture? People alive today, kids who are like, turning 21 today, for example, yeah. they've never lived in a period in the U.S. when we weren't at war. That's We've actually, been at war nonstop. That's actually a really good point. And I just learned this in researching the last horrific mass shooting, um, which just happened in Buffalo, which is that when you have 
war in, uh, when a society goes to war, there is a spike in violence at home following that war. It's like a very predictable relationship. And you also had a spike associated with uh, racist violence. So uh, clan membership spiked after each of our major wars. And so, you know, I, I think that's actually a really important point that when you have a society that is militarized, that, um, you know, is engaging in, you, you can't think that the violence is just going to stay overseas. You do see these broader trends. But the most obvious thing in the world, and I don't think either one of us would say that the gun laws, which are feasible and in potential, you know, in play to get passed, are going to solve all of the problems. But you have the chance for some harm reduction on the margins with some basic reforms that would make it a little bit harder to get a gun that would put, you know, red flag laws in place so that if someone is clearly deeply troubled, as this person obviously was, that there's a process where that can be flagged if it seems like they can be proven through a, you know, official judicial process that that they are a potential harm to themselves or others that they can be kept from purchasing a firearm for some period of time. These are basic things that are they going to solve everything? No. Will they help on the margins? Yes. We should not give up on at least doing the basics to make things better. And, the, you know, the mental health thing is a classic Republican dodge. Dodge. They always, and Greg Abbott, governor of Texas, did this in his press conference, didn't talk about guns at all, but wanted to talk all about, oh, we need to do more for mental health. Well, he gets asked a question, okay, well, are you going to actually, you're governor of this state, are you going to use the funds through ACA expansion that you could to expand mental health care to more of your own citizens? Of course not. Yeah, they never, that, of that's, course not. that's the point I always make is like, look, if you want to have that conversation about mental illness, I'm, I'm fine having absolutely. that conversation it about mental illness. Yeah. It absolutely is a problem. But the solutions to that are, if we had a Medicare for all system with universal mental health care, that'd be fine. Even if they proposed a standalone bill on just universal mental health care, I'd still support that bill. There was a bill that came up during the Obama administration. I'm blanking on the name of it now, but that provided mental health care through the Affordable Care Act. They all voted against it. Yeah. It's the same thing they did with like, you know, the baby formula in Ukraine thing. They're like, why are we sending $40 billion to Ukraine? We have a baby formula shortage over here. Then the bill comes up to send millions of dollars to fix the baby formula shortage and they all vote against it. Right. So they're just posturing morons. And um, to get back to the final point I wanted to make about um, Candace Owens is, I don't know if you remember this, but maybe more than a decade ago, maybe two decades ago, there was some hurricane that, maybe it was Hurricane Katrina, actually, come to think of it now. Yeah, it was, because it was in New Orleans. Um, Hurricane Katrina destroyed New Orleans in 2004, I believe it was. Pat Robertson got a lot of flack because immediately in the aftermath of that, he said, it's because they have gay pride parades. Yeah, that's, that's why the hurricane right. hit there. That's what right. Candace Owens that. is doing is the modern secular version of that exact same thing that Pat Robertson did. Somehow spinning a mass shooting that has nothing to do with trans people in any way, shape, or form and being like, well, let's look at what goes on with trans people in this country. What do you expect? What the fuck does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. You don't like trans people. You don't like, okay, got it. Got it. Understand. Well, then don't get in your feelings anytime somebody calls you a bigot because you're wearing it on your sleeve. It's not that hard to, to, to break it down. I'm, there's no leaps of logic here to say, oh, you don't like trans people. And it's very clear it's a broad thing. It's not like any one individual trans person who's an asshole. No, you just don't like trans people. You don't like the community. And it's obvious. Yeah. And the minute that there were those photos that were spread of claims that there was a trans person, that uh, the shooter was a trans person, the amount of people on the right that jumped on that and just assumed that was true and went with it, also very telling. Yeah, totally. Um, so now 
let's uh, let's move on to what happened with Beto O'Rourke. I haven't had the opportunity to talk about this yet, but uh, Greg Abbott was doing uh, some sort of a press conference right after the shooting in, in Uvalde, Texas, and he was surrounded by a bunch of other Texas government officials, and Beto O'Rourke sort of crashed their press conference and directly called out Abbott. Let's take a look at that video. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. Sit down. You're out of you're out of line and an embarrassment. Sit down. I don't play this stuff. No, you should get his ass out of here. This isn't the place to talk to the show. This is totally predictable. Sir, you're out of line. Sir, you are out of line. Sir, you are out of line. Please leave this auditorium. I can't believe you're a sick son of a bitch that would come to a deal like this to make a political issue. It's on assholes like you. Why don't you get out of here? Okay, so I have a lot of thoughts about this, Crystal. First of all, the main um, responses I've seen to this video from people on the right is, number one, stop making it political. That's what a lot of people say. Also, stop making it about you, Beto O'Rourke. Yeah. My response to that is very simple. Number one, it is political. It's already political. Guns is massively political. Even if you want to pretend like it's not, it is. And also, it is about him. He's running for governor of Texas. Right. And he wants to change the laws in regards to guns. Now, whether you agree or disagree with Beto on how far he'd go with guns is irrelevant. The thing is political, and it is about him in the same way it's about Greg Abbott. Yeah. So I don't—those those points, I think, are really hollow and really dumb. Um, was he grandstanding? Yes. But sometimes grandstanding in theater is kind of what you want. When we were talking about force the vote, I support a force the vote. You support, supported force the vote. I was under no illusions that it was going to succeed. Maybe you give it a 1% chance or a 2% chance of succeeding. But the whole point was the theater is the point because mm -hmm. you'd get a rallying cry and you bring people to your side and then you try to take that momentum and do something positive with it. And then the other thing I wanted to say is I want you to notice something. This is an area where Beto and there are many other Democrats who genuinely and sincerely want to tackle this issue. Notice how aggressive they are when they actually care about something and he's not bought by the NRA. This is a rare issue where Beto O'Rourke is not corrupt. So yes. he's freed up since he doesn't have to worry about the donors on this one. He doesn't have to worry about, you know, taking care of the people that fund him in his campaign. He genuinely is anti-gun. You see how aggressive Democrats can be right. when they're not held back by big money. You wouldn't see this kind of an action, them standing up to Wall Street or something and calling or for more regulation. Buster, yeah. yeah, you'd never see that. Well, and it, it's actually the opposite. I mean, I... I actually believe because Beto saw the aftermath of the shooting, the mass shooting in El Paso, I I think that he has a, a genuine concern about this issue because it's also not clear that it's like a political slam dunk in the state of Texas it's to make your not. campaign, make this big stand and make your campaign center around gun safety and gun control. Now, on the contrary, if it's not just he's not funded by the NRA, but I think, you know, in terms of this being a political stunt, I think he probably suspects that he'll gain some grassroots donations from people around the country to help support his campaign for his stand against Greg Abbott here. And you know what? That's democracy. I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, so, yeah, it is a political stunt. But you know what? Frankly, 
What Greg Abbott is doing there is also a political stunt, uh, pretending that he cares. Well, it was worse than a political stunt that he changed the laws in, the, in a bad direction. Pretending he cares, pretending he's going to do something. This is the very same presser where he does this dodge about mental health and then gets asked about, well, are you actually going to do something about mental health? No. So, look, I don't want to hear about you're like, oh, the incivility, how could you? No, more politicians should be told to their face and, and forced to face the consequences of their bad policies. More politicians should be told to their face and have to deal with that in a public setting, the fact that they suck and they're useless and they have failed their population over and over again. So yeah, it's a political stunt, but you know what? This whole theater that Greg Abbott has been been performing is also a political stunt. If it takes Beto getting up there and sort of calling him on it in public, I'm perfectly fine with that. Okay, so a couple points. Number one, did my mic just fall? I think it was up and then if that's not number one point, by the way, that was just a random side point. Um, so Abbott changed the law to make it so younger people can buy guns, correct? Yeah, uh, handguns. I it believe. was handguns in particular. Yeah. Okay. But it's already 18 to buy rifles there, correct? So, okay. Now, the, the law that was most recently changed was making it easier for people, I think, without a license to carry handguns in public. That was the most recent change to the okay. law. So- Bottom line is, there's a number of ways in which he's made gun laws more lax. lax. Mm -hmm. Okay. For sure. So when people say to Republicans, they genuinely get all in their feelings when, when you're like, yeah, you're responsible for this. And they say, well, that's a cheap point. Obviously, I don't want the mass shooting to happen. Okay. But when you create more and more lax gun laws and you give, you know, you have more guns in circulation as a result of that in more people's hands, it is a fact that more lax gun laws leads to more gun deaths. More guns, period, leads to more gun deaths. Understand something, guys. This isn't conjecture. That's a fact. I showed the charts on my show the other day where we have over 300 million guns in circulation in this country, and we're off the charts compared to every other country when it comes to mass shootings and gun deaths. We have 39,000 gun deaths. That's homicides, suicides, accidents, mass shootings, etc. So I, I would respect it if people were honest and they were like, Yes, I'm in favor of lax gun laws because I value freedom more than the safety. Agreed. And so, yeah, I understand that the, the, the laws I support will lead to more death. It's like if somebody says, I'm so pro-freedom, I want to get rid of the seatbelts in the cars. And yeah, there's going to be more deaths from car accidents, but that's I'm okay with that because I support the freedom over the safety. At least then that's intellectually honest. But yeah. you have this BS argument of, no, 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 more guns equals more peace because the good guys outnumber the bad guys. So if you arm everybody, the good guys keep the bad, guy in, bad guys in check. That doesn't end up happening. That's just not how it works. Yeah, I mean, I, I keep saying, if more guns were the answer to violence, we would have the safest society on the planet by far. It is clearly not the answer. And so I agree with you. I think, look, it is a totally legitimate debate, and it's the type of debate that society should have about how you balance risk and freedom and regulation. And if, you're, if your position is... Listen, I understand this is going to lead to more deaths and more violence, but this culture and this ability to have, you know, this w particular way of life ultimately for me weighs more heavily, then, okay, that's a legitimate position. I think you're wrong, but let's have that debate. And so instead, they try to have it both ways by saying, actually, no, not only do I think this is great for freedom and does, does it, um, you know, 
conform with my way of life, but I also think it's going to lead to more safety. And that part is just it's not just true. It's just factually wrong. And it's that, just factually wrong. To go back to, to Candace Owens and Fox News and all of that stuff, because that piece of it has kind of been taken off the table, like you really can't look at the situation, the number of police officers that were there who were there immediately, you know, the um, intense, uh, look at the amount of the budget that goes in Uvalde to the police force and the type of gear that they had and all of those things were in place that they have claimed would stop the horrors that we saw in Uvalde, Texas, that is kind of taken off the table. And so now they have to reach for all these other things about like, well, maybe we should have one door and maybe we should have even, you know, maybe the teacher should also be armed. Banned and doors. Maybe we need to harden. This This one too about the like, we've got to harden the schools. So it's just like the airports. These are the same people that like hate the airports and hate TSA in ordinary times. But now it's like, yeah, let's have the kindergartners go through a, a electric, you know, a, a metal detector and also get a pat down every single day. So listen, I think that it's fine and there are there is research already and schools are designed, uh, new schools are designed already to try to mitigate the dangers. This school, there's now more reporting, has been up to date in terms of their security procedures. They have drills. There's a local SWAT team that has done walkthroughs to try to pre- prepare and respond to this scenario. But ultimately, if you have this level of violence and guns in your society, even the, you know, best equipped, most hardened school is still going to be at risk. Yeah. So now let me make my final point on this is actually throwing a little curveball at everybody. Okay. Um, I'm defending Beto here and what he did, but I actually don't even agree with him on his policy choice. He prefer, he literally argued for gun confiscation in the last election. Yeah. He's backed off of that now, by okay. the way. But yeah. I'm not, I just, the point I want to make is I don't I, I'm I'm arguing against the dishonesty of the entire conversation and the points against Beto that I think are shitty points. But on the substance of it, I don't even agree with him. But here's the thing. The thing that you have to reckon with if you have the position that I have and I happen to fall, I think where most Americans fall on this is that, yeah, you're going to massively reduce the number of gun deaths, but we're still going to be way above and beyond any other developed country if you implement the reforms that I want to implement. So namely, you know, you want I would have a one strike and you're out rule in a universal background check where even the tiniest scintilla of something that could be a red flag, you're done. You're not getting a gun. So um, what do you, you mean in terms of um, crimes committed or do you mean in terms of no, other I mean, bizarre behavior that everything, gets flagged? Everything, anything. Yeah. Because it, the way the Second Amendment is written, it talks about you have a right to a weapon for a well-regulated militia. So this idea that there's an individual right to own any firearm you want, no questions asked, is just not true. So I would have that interpretation of the Second Amendment and therefore I would say, look, a lot of these shooters, they go on Facebook like in the week leading up to it and they're like, I am going to do a mass shooting now. And everybody around them was like, yeah, I kind of saw that one coming. This guy was sort of crazy. And then you look at it and you're like, well, how the fuck was he able to legally get a gun? So I would do something like that. One strike, you're out rule, red flag law, universal background check, ban the high capacity magazines. I mean, go down the list. Now, even an assault weapons ban, sometimes that drops below 50% in terms of how many Americans support it. Now yeah. it went way over 50% after this shooting. It's like 63 or something like that. So... But even if you implement all the reforms I want to implement, which are the basic reforms that we're talking about now, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe you drop the number of gun deaths every year down from 39,000 to 17,000. But people like me should have to answer for that fact when, when somebody says, yeah, but if we're being honest here, if we ban the guns and confiscate the guns, then you'd have zero gun deaths. And it's like, okay, that, that's accurate. That's true. But then you have a broader conversation, like you said, about balancing safety and security versus freedom. Right. And, you know, you have to acknowledge that regulation, while in many respects it, quote unquote, works, it also is by definition 
sort of authoritarian, you know? So you got to do a balancing act here of what's fair and what's not, and what do you allow and what do you not allow? Safety is not the only value. Correct, right. That's that my point we, I'm trying to make. That we recognize in society. And I mean, we see that very clearly in our day. Every day when you walk out of your door, you're taking some level of risk. When you get in your vehicle, you're taking some level of risk. And so it's not, you know, there, especially during COVID, there are sometimes there's this uh, mindset from liberals that like, Safety is the only paramount consideration and all this idea about like being able to go to your church or live your life or run your business is just ridiculous. And the only thing we should care about is safety. I, I just don't agree with that view. And most people do not live their lives like that is their view either. So again, these are these are the things that a society has to balance. But if you're Greg Abbott or you're a Republican media figure, right-wing media figure, and you're faced with this kind of massacre, you should have to answer for the fact that your position does contribute to a society that leads us Absolutely. to this place. And okay, if if that's your position, that it's freedom above everything else ev over any modicum of safety, including the most basic things like universal background checks that are supported by literally 90% of the public, you can have that position, but you should be prepared to justify it, even if it's like, you know, annoying Beto O'Rourke in your face at a presser. And the thing that frustrates people is that the the debate in Washington and among politicians is completely disconnected from the will of the people. And I think mainly it's because the entire Republican Party is bought by the NRA and a handful of Democrats are bought by the NRA too. And so they get to shift the debate on their terms and get what they want because they're the moneyed interest funding the politicians. There's also, that is very true. There's also an asymmetry in the debate because um, overwhelmingly the people who vote on this issue are the ones who are most stridently like no gun regulations whatsoever. They're the ones who are single issue voters on this. So it gives them disproportionate power, especially in Republican primaries. Okay. And with that, uh, let's go ahead and bring in Mac, also known as Good Politic Guy. He, uh, he has an awesome YouTube channel and Crystal and I are excited to have a little chat with him. We hope you guys enjoy. Mac, a.k.a. Good Politic Guy. Nice to talk to you, man. It's nice to finally meet you. Yeah, I appreciate you guys uh, having me on the show. I, I consistently watch uh, both Breaking Points and uh, your show, Kyle. So I've been watching you guys for years. So it's, uh, you know, an honor to be able to have a conversation with y'all. Thanks, man. Uh, I, uh, I think I first stumbled across your Twitter account. And, uh, yeah, you know, you were you were spitting fire on there. And so I liked what I saw. <laughs> and then eventually I realized that you had, you know, a YouTube channel. And I went and checked out the YouTube channel. And um, I was kind of blown away because, number one, you have, like, phenomenal thumbs. Uh, number two, you're covering important stories and you have, like, good titles. It's stories that are similar stories that catch my eye, stuff that I like to talk about as well. Um, and then number three, when I watched some of your videos, I was like, this guy's good. Like, he, he knows what he's talking about. He's obviously on top of his stuff. Uh, he's an up-and-comer. And then come to find out, and I know you have personal experience with this, and I do in a different way, but uh, I, the, I really feel like the rug has sort of been pulled out from underneath you and all other creators who are in that same boat as you of, like, good content, good thumbnails, good titles, and you don't get a wave that you can ride, namely because... The YouTube algorithm started maybe, you know, a few years back, but they decided when it comes to news and politics, we don't want to piss off the advertisers. We don't want to have negative articles written about us. So now we're going to prioritize authoritative content. So now if you're watching news and politics on YouTube, you are force fed CNN, MSNBC, yep. Fox News. And then if you're an outsider and you're lucky, 
then you get the John Olivers and, you know, things like that's the, like, <laughs> the, the most the independent, edgy, yeah. the most edgy that they'll promote. Listen, I said this to you, Crystal, there was a, a, a video from John Oliver where he was covering, um, I think it was the Philippines election. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that's not interesting. Yeah. You know, I, that's something I might cover, right? I yeah. mean, Duterte, for example, is a maniac and I've right. covered him a few times on my channel, but this is a video where on anybody else's channel who's in our space, if you post that video, you're getting anywhere from 40,000 views to like 80,000 views. Yeah. His video in the course of a day had like 1.7 million or something preposterous. And then I figure out, oh, you know why that is? Because everybody was getting served that right. in the autoplay well, when they watch it. Even when I'll search for, you know, some news topic that I'm trying to do research on. And of course, every one of the search results is going to be ABC, NBC, CNN. So you literally, as a consumer, have to go to the page of the creator in order to get any sort of independent content. So Mac, with that all of sort of context and background, why don't you just tell people a little bit and introduce yourself even to us because we don't know that much about your background either. Like where do your politics come from? How long have you been doing the channel? What's your experience been like? Uh, yeah, sure. So my name is Mac. I go by good politic guy on pretty much every social media outlet. I'm on Twitter, which is really, I guess, where I sort of started during the uh, 2020 Democratic primary. And I was, you know, rage tweeting for mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders and <laughs> all of that good stuff. But uh, then I basically just took my Twitter account and I was like, hey, you know, I've been watching people like Kyle for uh, years since I was in high school, basically. And I was mm -hmm. like, you know, maybe maybe I could do something like that. And so I uh, started ranting into a webcam in my room and, uh, you know, slowly but surely built up a little bit of a community. So uh, I would say my politics, as far as like my ideological, you know, description that I would give myself, I don't really like to talk about labels that much, but, uh, you know, you could call me a socialist, a leftist, or, you know, really whatever you want. I'm not really a fan of the uh, progressive label anymore, but, yeah, you know, socialist, leftist, one, I, I? yeah, yeah, they did. Um, mm -hmm. I like to, you know, I like to center my commentary around that of uh, giving somewhat of a critique of U.S. foreign policy and imperialism or, uh, you know, corruption and uh, the flaws of the capitalist system, et cetera. So that's really where my, my commentary is centered around, but I like to cover a various array of topics and stuff on my on my YouTube channel. Now, uh, just to, to get back to the um, YouTube algorithm algorithm thing, which I will literally never let go in my entire life. Um, there was a time I, I remember looking at your channel one time a while ago and each video had, you know, about a thousand views, which is great for somebody who's up and coming. I mean, I remember the first time I got a thousand views. I was over the moon. I was doing cartwheels. And then over time, it's like, even though you're putting out phenomenal content, it was like, your view count started ticking down. So yeah, yeah speak to that a yeah. little bit. Number one, I what mean, was that like? Number two, what are you going to do in response to that? Like, talk a little bit about that. No, I mean, you're 100% right. There was a period there there where my uh, channel started like taking off a little bit and then it dramatically slowed down. And like, I noticed right up until the point where <clears throat> where you featured one of my videos on your channel, it had basically stalled out for like, I mean, I mean, almost a month or a month and a half where I was gaining, you know, maybe 10 subscribers a day uh, if I was gaining that and it, the views started tanking down as well. And one of the other things that I noticed is that YouTube, whenever I have any topic, whether it's like, you know, covering Palestine or Israel or, uh, you know, the uh, like the recent mass shooting or, you know, any topic that could any foreign policy issues, especially, but any topic that could even mildly be considered to be outside of the you know bounds of, of normalcy or whatever the advertisers want it for me, at least immediately gets demonetized or, you know, has that uh, 
you know, whatever it is, the half monetization that they get or that it's only for select advertisers or yeah. something. And then every single time that it comes up with that, I'll go through the appeals process and I'll, you know, a couple of days later after my video has already gotten all of its views, they'll come back with a message and say, oh, we've approved your your video for mm. monetization now after reviewing it. And it's like, well, I mean, you know, I'm no longer getting views on a video. I'm not going to make any money from that. So, I mean, at this point, I would say that happens to maybe, you know, 40, 50 percent of the videos that I put out there right now. And are you dependent on your channel for your income or do you have another job that sort of pays the bills? So, yeah. So I also do um, like a part-time delivery driver on the side. I'm also still finishing my degree in college right now. So I'm also a full-time student. Wow. Um, so I'm doing, yeah, I have a couple of jobs, I guess, if you consider what I'm doing on YouTube to be a job as well. And, uh, you know, I make a, a you know, couple hundred bucks here and there off some of the ad revenue and, and combine that with the Patreon and all of that stuff. So, you know, it definitely helps out. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not nearly enough for me to make that my full time job yet, at least. Yeah, I, mean, I think Sagar and I, I mean, we didn't know what we were doing, but we really got kind of lucky um, because if we had started just completely independent with on not the Hill platform, I don't think we would have been able to succeed because you, you may already have just made the cut before they really cracked down. before they were because I mean I but I really think the fact that we were on that like authoritative news corporate oh. algorithm that was the key to us having that success as quickly as we did and then when we went independent we were able to bring a good portion of that audience over but without that starting as you did you know just recently and putting out really phenomenal content i really do want to recommend people go and check out the channel because it's not Thank only you. not only is the content quality but it's very thorough and it's very thoughtful it's not just sort of knee jerk um which i really you know which i also really appreciate it but it just makes it extraordinarily difficult for independent creators to even ones who are doing everything right and putting things out there that really need to be heard. It just makes it really, really difficult for them to, to get going these days. Yeah. And that's honestly, that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to talk to you too, is because like, man, when you look at a Jordan Chariton's channel, I don't know if you know the whole backstory with that, but he was there on January 6th, recording it on the ground, doing like investigative reporting. And yeah, following... they jacked his footage, right? So yeah, what happened exactly is what they did. he licensed his footage to all a bunch of the major news outlets. CNN and everybody, yeah. So what they did is they were able to post their stuff on YouTube that they licensed from Jordan. Jordan's footage on his own channel got pulled down, was censored. So from YouTube, the argument was, you know, it seems like you're promoting the big lie or promoting the Capitol riot or whatever. And he's like, no, I'm a journalist and I'm just showing video of it. And why the hell do you allow it on CNN and all these other big outlets? But you're pulling it down for me on my own channel and I'm the original person who recorded it. So when you look at a situation like that, it's just like a perfect case study in how rigged and unfair the system is. And for a voice like yours, I just feel like it's so important for people who have, you know, similar politics like we do, uh, and you do very thorough and important and intelligent work that like, there's got to be, you know, we, we got to find a way out of this. We got to find a way around this. And part part of that is like solidarity and trying to boost each other a little bit, you know, yeah. but it's so hard to override the the brute force of the algorithm because, uh, you know, everybody can play the world's smallest violin for me because my channel's already re really large. But like, I just don't grow anymore at all. It's negative growth. 
It's like randomly you'll get sub purges like on a regular basis, even when it could be a day where I have no controversial takes whatsoever. <laughs> it could be a day where I maybe have some controversial takes. Yeah. It doesn't matter if I don't post, if I do post, if I post something good, if I post something bad, if I post something standard, if I post something new, like any, anything, it's just like, oh, would you look at that? No growth at all again. And it's because, you know, my stuff isn't being shared as much around either. And YouTube has actively made a decision to take people like us and just sort of push us off to the corner and to the side. Yeah, they just don't serve our content to new people. So, of course, new people are not going to subscribe if new people are not seeing the content. Um, Mac, I wanted to ask you, what, I know you've been covering, as we all have, the um, horrific events down in Uvalde, Texas. The more and more we learn, the more horrific the police response appears to be. But I wanted you to pick up on, Kyle and I were actually talking about the uh, Beto O'Rourke interrupting Greg Abbott's press conference there. And I know you covered that as well. What did you think of that? Were you a, were you a fan of it, not a fan of it? How'd you feel about it? I mean, listen, you know, I'm not a big fan of, of Beto anyways, just regardless. But, um, you know, on that, I think it was definitely virtue signaling. It was definitely, you know, political theater. But at the same time, I think that's an example, at least in my opinion, where it's somewhat obviously justified. And, you know, I think that's I'd like to see more of that type of energy from mm -hmm. the Democratic Party more, you know, than having Nancy Pelosi come out and call for a strong Republican Party and, you know, doing robocalls and whatever for uh, Henry Quayler down in Texas, you know, at least at least he's confronting them to some degree and, you know, making them, you know, be putting them on the back foot or putting them on the defense at least a little bit. So, you know, whatever. I mean, it's, it's virtue signaling, but so was the whole press conference. I mean, that's the whole reason why they were getting up there to do that press conference in the first place was to pretend as if they give a single solitary shit about addressing gun violence in the United States. Yeah. I mean, I, Crystal and I were talking about this before. The reason why he was free to do that is because on this issue, he's not corrupt. So he doesn't have NRA money pulling him in, him in the direction of being like really pro-gun. So you actually get a glimpse into what a Democratic Party could be like if they actually cared about issues. Now, you will see it from time to time on some social issues, but on any economic issue, there's not a chance in hell that Beto would stand up this aggressively to some like Wall Street banker and then turn around and be like, we got to regulate the banks more and we got to break up your bank. And they, he would never do it. But since this is an issue where he doesn't take NRA money. And by the way, for the record, I should know, I don't even agree with Beto on his full gun policy idea. I wouldn't confiscate guns personally. I'd do more regulation, but I wouldn't confiscate them. He previously has said he wanted to confiscate them, although apparently you said he backed off that. Yeah, I was now that he's that. running for Texas governor. He was like, I don't want to take anything for anyone because he, I mean, in Texas politics, it's just like. I mean, he shot himself in the foot when he made that comment in, yeah. the, in the Democratic debate. Even I mean, because even among Democratic voters, I think the things that are popular on guns are the standard things we always talk about. Universal background checks, ban high capacity yeah. magazines. I don't, I don't would, think the majority of the American public's for banning guns. Do you? No. no. Um, I mean, the most recent polling that came out, though, did it actually was stronger for some things than I expected. Like assault weapons ban. Stronger support for an assault weapons ban than what I suspected was like 60 some percent yeah, mm -hmm. background checks, et cetera. But I mean, that's the other reason why to me... Uh, it 100% is virtue signaling. It 100% is a political stunt. I'm sure he has in his mind, like, the sort of, you know, liberal base across the country flooding his campaign with cash to try to take out Greg Abbott, who right now in the polls he's down to pretty significantly. But it's also not that easy of a stance to take and really make the center of your campaign in the Texas gubernatorial race either. So I didn't think it was quite as simple as just being, like, a cheap and easy political point. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense for sure. I mean, it's it's something, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see Democrat 
you know, get up there and, and get angry about anything. But I mean, as Kyle was just pointing out there, like this is something that he can do because, you know, it's an issue where he himself does not have those personal corrupting influences from the gun lobby. But again, like, you know, is this the type of energy that we would ever see from uh, Joe Biden, who in his speech yesterday on the shooting or a couple of days ago on the shooting, you know, he comes out and he says we need to confront the gun lobby. Right. And it's like, well, OK, yeah, we should confront the gun lobby. But what about the pharmaceutical lobbyists and the healthcare lobbyists and, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, military industrial complex lobbyists that are funneling money into, you know, your campaigns as well that are uh, preventing you from going out and taking a stand like this on any host of other issues that are, you know, in many ways, much bigger issues than gun control. Yeah. Or how about taking a stand against the members of your own party who are um, against governing? I mean, that's what yeah. it means to, right. to support keeping the filibuster in place. That means you are against governing. You are against doing anything <laughs> on any of these issues that they pretend to care about. And then, of course, I mean, the hypocrisy is so clear on this and on abortion rights and on union rights, too, by the way, with their, um, you know, dragging Henry Cuellar, it looks like, across the finish line, although it is still too close to call in that race, doing robocalls for him, making visits to the district. Pelosi literally on Morning Joe that morning saying how much they care about abortion rights while she's doing robocalls trying to drag this pro-life Democrat across the finish line. And on the very same day as the primary is this mass shooting, and they're backing a dude who has an A rating from the NRA. So, you know, clearly they're, they like having the issue when it's politically convenient for them. They are so rarely willing to actually do the things they need to do to, to get any sort of policy change. And we, I mean, we see that since Sandy Hook, we keep having these shootings over and over and over again. And, you know, I'm sort of moderate like Kyle on the issue. I'm not in favor of the full, like, ban every weapon like Beto ad advocated for in the Democratic primaries. But you could do some things that are overwhelmingly supported by the American public that would at least reduce the harm, at least reduce the number, and we get nothing. Nothing. I mean, yeah, like you were saying, like those, uh, uh, the kids from the Sandy Hook shooting, I mean, what, they were six, seven years uh, old at the time. We're now 10 years later. They're probably in high school at this point. That's exactly and right. Nothing, nothing has been done in that entire interim decade in terms of, uh, you know, gun legislation, but just completely ridiculous. And you hear all of these politicians, Republicans and Democrats coming out and they're like, you know, this is an example of, of pure evil. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, it is an example of pure evil, but it's not an evil that we haven't seen before. I mean, we, we looked this same exact evil directly in the eyes like 50 times and basically just said, you know, keep on doing exactly what you're doing. You're doing a great job. Uh, Lauren Boebert said, like, you can't legislate away evil. Mm. That was her reaction to the uh, to the shooting. And my reaction to that is, you certainly can limit it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, yeah, we're never going to get rid of all, you know, murder, yeah. mass shootings, et cetera. But like, yeah, the whole point of the government is to craft policy so you limit bad things and increase good things. Right. Yeah, they talk, they talk about it like it's, uh, like everybody's been saying, they talk about it like it's, uh, you know, like a weather event, like it's just an inherent part of right. life that mass shootings are going to come, and then, you know, what can we do about it? Thoughts and prayers, let's all move on with our day. Right. It's the Onion headline, remember? Exactly. Right. Like, like how, how, what is it? It's <laughs> like... The only country where this happens, like, you know, nothing, nothing could have been done. Nothing we can do. do. It says the only yeah. country where, where this, this keeps happening. Where this originally right. happens. No, I mean, yeah, that's that's exactly right. They have just deployed any number of strategies to get through this period when the public emotion is raw and they know they're on the wrong side of the issue. They just have a bunch of delaying tactics to kind of get through this period until they can change the subject to something that they, They're about you know, to go on vacation. 
They're yeah. about to go take a vacation for Memorial Day, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they're not. I mean, this is, um, don't get me started because this is just, yeah, nothing's going to get done. Like everything else, nothing's going to get done. Well, and, and here's, here's what- Biden's the, speech drove me crazy. Here's what the Democratic Party will say. Here's what their defenders will say. Like, Cuellar's in a district that's very difficult to win. And if you put a, if you put a progressive lawmaker in there, you'll lose that district. And they've used the same mindset for literally my entire life to basically strip the Democratic Party of standing for any principle whatsoever. It's not even true. And then they're so confused when voters don't show up for them and have no enthusiasm. I mean, they've not been, even true, though. Katie Porter won in a swing district. Right. Well, like, and, I mean, it's a very <laughs> yes. And also, I mean, there are lots of other examples, too, like Pennsylvania. You really think Connor Lamb is a better candidate than John Fetterman? Like this is it's <laughs> ridiculous. But also when you routinely have as your political strategy, let's stand for nothing. Let's fight for nothing. Let's always, you know, collapse and do the virtue signal, but not really move forward. Let's back candidates that are like very clearly going against what the base of our party wants. Then guess what? Don't be surprised when people are apathetic and when the midterm comes around and they don't show up for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there, there shouldn't be any surprise that Democrats are on track to just get absolutely curb stomped in the midterms. And I've talked about on my channel a couple of times when you get into a lot of the specifics on the on the data in terms of where Joe Biden specifically has lost a lot of his support. Disproportionately, it's been among young people. Yes, and so that's right. it's like it's the exact precise opposite of the lesson that Democrats are trying to learn right now, where they're coming out and saying, oh, the problem is that we tried to do too much. And, you know, we turned voters off because they were scared of our scary socialist agenda. And it's like, no, I mean, if it's disproportionately young people who are abandoning the Democratic Party, then it's the exact opposite lesson. You should be leaning into that left-wing economic populist message of somebody like Bernie Sanders in order to motivate people to show up and, uh, you know, maybe bail you out in the midterms. Biden keeps talking like he's not the president. Yeah. Like when he yeah. gave when he gave that speech about the gun violence, he's like, "Are we gonna let this keep happening?" What? <laughs> if only there bitch, was someone Are you in gonna let this keep happening? Yeah. Like for the love of God, even if you say, "Oh, he can't get it through the Senate because he needs sixty votes. He doesn't have the sixty votes. Whatever." Sign a couple executive orders and then dare the Supreme Court to slap it down. Say, "Okay, go ahead," but it's gonna take you a year or two before it gets through all the litigation until it gets to you, and by then it'll already be impl implemented. And then, okay, you want to slap it down, slap it down. But I did everything that I could from this office. And the other thing is like. You could easily pull a Trump. If somebody in the Republican Party didn't toe the line for Trump when he was president, he would be on his Twitter account the next morning like, low energy, terrible politician, so-and-so is blocking the MAGA agenda. And then all the MAGA people would turn on them. But Biden, even when he had a high approval rating, he wouldn't use that bully pulpit in any real sense. And so Joe Manchin gets to do whatever the hell Joe Manchin wants to do. Yeah, the problem for him now is that like- Nobody likes him anymore. Nobody would care if he did that. Right. I mean, in certain districts, it would help them. Like right, Biden yeah. came out against them, you know? I mean, he endorsed that Kurt Schrader asshole who was like the one that helped to block the uh, prescription drug pricing reform. No one cared that Biden endorsed that dude. It did not matter whatsoever. Yeah. I, he just has no juice. But there's other ways. Okay, but there's other ways to use the bully pulpit too. Like yeah. for the love of God, Joe Manchin comes from a crime family. Like his his wife was involved. Was it no? His daughter was involved in in the price fixing scandal for a pharmaceutical company. It's like. Be like, hey, dog, Merrick Garland's looking into you and maybe I could call him off. But you know what? You got to do me a solid on Build Back Better. There's none of that. There's none of that. The guy lives like it's 1992 
and he's like gonna cut a deal with Newt Gingrich or something. You know, like it's never gonna happen, bro. So I, it's like it's hard to think that he really cares about any of the stuff when he yeah. acts in a way that's massively indifferent, regardless of what he says on the surface. I mean, if anybody watches that speech from Biden and thinks like, oh yeah, he's really on top of it, the whole thing was like, man, this is really bad. A lot of bad things keep happening. Gosh, golly. Yeah. That's wild, isn't it? It's like, yeah, I know. Now, what are you going to do? Yeah, kneel in some kente cloth. That's the extent of yeah, the solution. Probably. I mean, Mac, what do you think, though, kind of of— I, I saw a poll not too long ago that even a majority of Democrats say they don't want Joe Biden as their nominee next time around. You have majorities of the country saying basically, like, we don't want Trump or Biden. We'd prefer—we would take— opt for an independent candidate over either one of them. Now, we both know that that doesn't actually ever work out in reality. But— um, what do you think is kind of the play for the left in this moment? What do you think has happened to the left post-Bernie? How do you feel about the state of the movement? I it's it's shit. I mean, it's it's absolute dog shit at this point. I don't I don't know any potential, you know, presidential nominees that are marginally maybe Marianne, yeah, but I mean, no no figures that are of the caliber of somebody like Bernie Sanders who has his same, you know, broad working class appeal that that he was able to garner. I mean, it's just it's kind of bleak at this point. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I would love for somebody like Marianne Williamson or hell, even Nina Turner, whatever, throw your name in there at least to try to, you know, shove whoever the Democrats put up to the left and, and drag them a little bit. But, you know, in terms of a an actual viable candidate for 2024, I, I, I don't know. I mean, your guess is as good as mine on that. What do you think of um, some of the interleft debates about, you know, the squad and how they've done since they've been in Congress and the— um, the usefulness of continuing to, you know, try to elect people like Jessica Cisneros, try to elect people like Summer Lee and hope that they show some backbone and some leadership this time around. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm not of the school of thought as like some people on the left uh, are where they just say, you know, they're corrupt. All Every member of the squad is just massively corrupt. They're completely useless and all of that. I don't think that we should go that far, but I do think that uh, they've definitely shown an I don't know, let's say ineptitude or inability to use the viable strategies that they have at their disposal in order to effectively push for certain legislative items. But I mean, especially over the course of Build Back Better, we saw that play out with just the complete collapse of the uh, Congressional Progressive Caucus giving in to the whims of their most corporate members and delinking the uh, bipartisan infrastructure framework from Build Back Better. And just it's, it's, it's complete chaos. We don't have anybody who's a natural leader within the squad who can actually rally them as a cohesive voting block in order to get some of those strategies through, which is why, you know, I do want to keep adding more members of the squad uh, to or more just generally progressive members of the House or the Senate uh, into uh, Congress, because I think that the more you get in there, obviously you have a more solid and fulfilled block that can act as a uh, as a collective. But on top of that, you also need those leadership qualities, right? It's, it's one thing to be great on the policy, but you also have to be able to fight. You have to be able to be willing to challenge the power centers within our government and challenge challenge capital uh, in a serious way and in a strategic way in order to actually get uh, the uh, policies that we want implemented. And I think it also has to be an inside-outside strategy, right? So, you know, I, I do believe in somewhat electoral politics and, you know, going and, and showing up and, and rallying behind candidates that are better than corporate ghouls. But, uh, you know, on top of that, you also have the recent revitalization of the American labor movement with the uh, union drives that we've been seeing. The first Amazon union, Starbucks is absolutely popping off. 
Uh, we have a you know whole host of other companies as well that are attempting to unionize right now. So you have to use the actual real power that uh, workers collectively organizing have and use that in combination with direct action and mobilization and uh, organizing at a grassroots level and use that in combination uh, with the progressives that we have elected in Congress. But it seems like, at least from the current group that we have in there right now, that they're not really willing to go the full extent in taking on the corruption within the Democratic Party or even go the full extent in terms of, you know, uh, aggressively going out and standing beside, uh, you know, union drives and all of that. Maybe a couple of politicians have been consistently good on that, like Bernie. But, you know, outside of that, it's it's really been just completely disorganized. Yeah, there's I mean, I've spoken about this a million times. There's no strategy. There's no leadership. There's no balls. All you would need is a group of like 14 of them to get together, have one leader, and you just have to be willing to like take the oncoming fire from the media because we all know the media is in bed with corporate Democrats. And so they're going to represent that viewpoint. And so, yeah, they would come after you and lie and say you're with the Republicans if you try to block Biden's agenda to force him to do some executive orders. Mm-hmm. But that's always been the play. Yeah. And the thing that frustrates me is like it like it could work and it could work relatively easily. You just have to actually do it. And they're not yeah. doing it, which leads to. There's there's the, you know, the squad sick events who are super annoying where they act like they've never made a mistake ever or whatever when they're making mistakes all the goddamn time. Right. They annoy me. But then also the people who are totally against electoralism completely annoy me because it's like you don't even have a counter plan. You just want to like rage and be like things are bad and they're really bad. And so let's if you try to do anything to fix it, you're a fucking sellout. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? So I think both of those camps annoy the shit out of me mm-hmm. when the answer is very obviously right in the middle there. I mean, you said, um, you know, the union drives are super important. Of course, they're super important. But all you needed was one enforcer in Congress to rally the gaggle of idiots to do the right thing. If Nina Turner got in there and Nina Turner was like, yeah, what if we blocked everything Joe Biden was trying to do unless and until he signed an executive order to get rid of all the student loan debt and legalize marijuana? He's going to have to come to the table and sit down with you. I mean, that guy cares about his own political ass as much as he cares about anything. So he would have said, look, if you give me a list of five or 10 executive orders, I can't do all those. Maybe I could do three. Which three do you want? Like, let's talk it out. I can't do this one, but maybe I'll do that one. So, but if there's no pressure coming from the left and there's no politicking coming from the left, then yeah, they're going to get rolled every single time, just like what we saw with Build Back Better. And that was a rare instance where there was a group of, what was it, six of them who did the right thing? Yeah. And then after they did the right thing, and all the corporate Democrats were, were proven to be total idiots. Nobody ever gave them credit afterwards. No. I never heard anything from Ro Khan or Pramila Jayapal who yeah. were like, by the way, we were wrong. And the six of you who did the right thing were right. No, they actually, never did that. Actually, what Ro said instead was like, we should have compromised more. Yeah. <laughs> sooner. More yeah. and sooner. Oh, yeah. fuck out of like, here, Wait, Ro. that's what you took from this? What oh, the my fuck, God. Ro Connor? It's pathetic. It's pathetic. And honestly, I mean, like like leaning into the point that you were just making, like they make it out to seem like these are impossible feats. And it's like, I get it. Like the media, you know, has a lot of power in determining the the boundaries of the conversations that we're having in regards to policy and all of that. But you could be somebody who just breaks through that barrier if you're not afraid to go call out people like Joe Manchin by name, use his name, get into the actual details of the fossil fuel money that he's taking to his campaigns, get into the history of, uh, you know, his, uh, his history as a state senator in West Virginia, where he literally price gouged his own constituents for his own personal financial benefit for his dirty coal company. I mean, you could talk about so many different things that are just staring us in the face or, you know, Kirsten Cinema's uh, uh, pharmaceutical corruption. There are so many different things that are not 
difficult to tell the American people about the correlation that exists between the corrupting influences from the capitalist private sector and what they're doing in a legislative uh, in a legislative debate. It's like it's not complicated or difficult to draw that line for people. And I think the overwhelming majority of the American people do understand that our government is a massive cesspool of corruption. And so it's like, you know, you should be leaning into that. I feel like that would make the, the left's case even stronger. It would make it more popular because people hate that type of corruption. I think we have a very powerful uh, model of why centrism is terrible and awful in Joe Manchin um, that has some appeal with sort of normie Dems. You know, I mean, I think that's a big part of the reason why Connor Lamb just got destroyed in Pennsylvania by John Fetterman. You had uh, people tell the New York Times, like, I don't want that dude to go in and be another Joe Manchin for our state. So thank McLeod you. McLeod Skinner, uh, too. McLeod yeah. Skinner literally call, was calling Kurt Schrader the Joe Manchin of the House. And that makes it visceral because it's been one thing for us to explain, like, they're going to block what you want to do. They're sold out. Like, they're not going to be there when it counts. It's another thing for people to have lived through the experience of the Biden administration and listen, I think Biden deserves a lot of the blame, but they very clearly see Manchin and Cinema standing in the way of every single agenda item. They're complete villains now to sort of like your normie dem. And I do think that's a really uh, powerful weapon for us to be able to use to say, that's what you want? Like, what point is electing these people if they're not even going to do anything that they promise you when they're running for office? Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. And I think that I think there was a lot of missed opportunity there for, you know, whether it's Joe Biden or it's somebody like Bernie Sanders or any member of the squad to like literally go to West Virginia and do some rallies there and bring up, you know, I saw a couple of videos, I think it was from More Perfect Union. They always do fantastic work on all of this shit, but uh, they put together a video where they were interviewing West Virginia coal miners, which is like the perfect stereotypical example of who Joe Manchin pretends like he's representing. Mm. And they did all of these interviews with them and they're explicitly saying like, no, we actually want Build Back Better to pass. Like we recognize that we have to have some future sustainability in our our jobs and stuff. And we understand that, you know, fossil fuels are kind of on the way out. We want a viable plan for the future. And Joe Manchin doesn't give a shit about them. He cares about his own, you know, personal financial situation. He cares about protecting the fossil fuel corporations, but he doesn't give a shit about average workers in West Virginia. And so, you know, there's a huge missed opportunity there to further lean into that and, you know, go do a rally, have, have Joe Biden go out there, bring up West Virginia coal miners on the stage and have them describe why they support uh, something like Build Back Better. Just so many different things that they could have done and just refused to even really refuse to even mention his name in uh, in all of these debates that were happening. The one time Bernie touched a nerve is when he wrote an op-ed in a West Virginia newspaper and Manchin reportedly flipped out behind the scenes. Really? Which shows that that's where you need to apply the pressure. Mm. That's what you need to do. Yeah, let him whine, let him cry, let him bitch, let him moan. You know why he's doing that? Because he's afraid it might work. That's why he was doing it. Because the polls did show that West Virginia voters, when you go issue for issue in Build Back Better, they were like, I support that, I support that, I support that. Even 56% of Republicans supported Build Back Better in West Virginia. So yeah. totally blown opportunity. Yeah. Um, hey, Mac, you said you're still in school, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what are you studying for? Political science. Political science, go. yeah. So uh, let me ask you, given that you're, you're still in school and, and you're on a campus and stuff, what do you make of the uh, thing that we hear all the time from both people on the right and uh, I'd say the comedian community is probably banging this drum the hardest uh, of, you know, these woke college kids and cancel culture and it's run amok and it's out of control. What's your experience on a college campus in the year 2022? 
I, I have absolutely no fucking idea what any of them are talking about. Because <laughs> my, my experience in college and, you know, I, I go to school, I live in Atlanta. And so, you know, I go to school in an Atlanta campus, which I feel like is, I, I don't know if that would be considered by outsiders to be a, more of like a woke city or something compared to like some in <laughs> New York or California or whatever. But like everybody here is just a normal fucking person, right? And in terms of, <laughs> in terms of the school that, that I go to, when it comes to like classes on economics, when it comes to classes on even like some social issues, yeah, you'll get a couple professors and stuff that are more maybe like socially, you know, like social democrats or something like that. But I've never had a a socialist perspective on economics or anything like that uh, actually introduced either in high school or in college uh, in a serious way from any of these discussions. And like one of my most recent uh, political science classes that I was taking, one of the upper level ones, um, the only guest that they brought in throughout the entire semester was dead ass, no joke, was literally a former ambassador under the Reagan administration to uh, to uh, Russia, to, to to Moscow. Okay, <laughs> so literally the only person they brought in, and my teacher at that time was, you know, somewhat more on the left than than other teachers that I've had, and that was the one guest that they brought on to talk to us about this. Is somebody who is just completely drinking the Kool Aid of like anti-communist '80s uh, propaganda, basically, <laughs> and it was just bringing up these ridiculous talking points and all of this. And there was a whole back and forth, and I actually uh, actually asked her directly if under her definition that she was giving of terrorism, uh, whether or not the CIA would be considered a terrorist organization. And we kind of had a, you know, tense back and forth on that, which was mm, kind of entertaining. But interesting. yeah, I mean, I just don't have any any experience whatsoever, even going to a, a more leftist, I would say, school in a city. Like, even then, I don't have, I, I just don't understand where the fuck they're coming from this. There's no radical Marxist professors that are ingraining that in students. If anything, you have to, you have to push back against the, uh, you know, capitalist and imperialist propaganda just relentlessly in order to get an accurate depiction of, of the world in the United States. What do you think that they, I, I, I mean, it's been a while since I was in college, but I studied economics and every one of my economics professors was right wing uh, across two universities. Austrian types. Clemson and University of Virginia. UVA is not Ivy League, but it is considered, you know, a sort of like high level university or whatever. And no, I definitely never got a single left wing perspective. It, a lot of those people are still there. Was too. it not even Keynesianism? Was it Austrian type economics? Was, was it like Milton Friedman esque? I mean, was it? it varied course to course, okay. but it was definitely more like Friedman sort of just like okay, and even things that are are completely now like provably wrong, like the idea that wages go up with productivity and that's like a reliable relationship, which is one of the wor- first things you learn in economics, is just like provably false at this I'm, point. But they still run with it. I'm actually surprised by that because my understanding was that it's mostly Keynesianism that's taught in colleges, but I guess it wasn't. It's, yeah, like okay. I said, it's been a minute since I've been there, yeah. so maybe it's shifted Clemson, now. For ex- well, I understand Clemson would Clemson be was... a little more right-wing. Yeah. So there's this thing that came out this morning um, it, that says some new survey, nearly one in 12 of 16 to 24-year-olds now identifies lesbian, gay, or bisexual figure show. And so it used to, in 2015, the number was 3.3%. Then 2018, it ticked up to 4.4%. Now in 2020, it's, uh, what does that say? 8%. So now a lot of people would look at that and be like, and Bill Maher literally said this the other day. He's like, see, now it's trendy to be LGBTQ IA plus. So um, that's why kids are doing it. They want to be cool. They want to fit in. And we're like, because of culture and society, we're now creating more people who identify that way. And then the other perspective, of course, is no, there's always been this many people all along. It's just now people are more comfortable coming out and saying that they are. 
So are you sensing, and I can't say, are you sensing an uptick in the number of LGBTQ people because you were in school when Crystal was and I was, but like, do you get the sense that everywhere you look, it's like LGBTQ everywhere, pride flags everywhere. People are like, you know, doing a, fuck, what's the name of that group? Oh no, It's Raining Men is playing everywhere I walk. Is that <laughs> <laughs> what's the, uh, no. what was the Russian one? Tattoo? The lesbian oh, oh, girl, oh. The girls who are like all pretending. The said, yeah. All the things she said anyway, running through my head. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Is that what college is like now? Good song. No, <laughs> no, it's, it's not like that. And like the degree to which, I mean, like, I, I do think that there are like a substantial amount of LGBT uh, people at, at my school for sure. Like probably I would say disproportionately more so than, uh, you know, boomers that I interact with in my life. Definitely. But it's not like, it's not like that's the whole campus experience, right? Like if somebody's, you know, happens to be gay or lesbian or whatever it may be, they're just like, they're just a part of the school. They're just a part of the community as, as at least from my experience that I've seen, it doesn't seem like there's any, you know, broad enforcement of anything, pushing anything down anybody's throats or, you know, anything remotely close to that. It just is, it's kind of just, I feel like normal or considered normal from everybody that is in my circles in college, at mm -hmm. least. So it's not even something that I would really think twice about in my day-to-day -day yeah. experience. I, I, that's the other part of it is like, okay, even if there was some element of like, oh, they're just going with it, who cares? Like, well, that's the yeah. thing does there's that. like- No, see, Bill Maher's just wrong on this though. Well, but there's also just this like panic about like, oh my God, what if there are more gay people? Who cares? Well, why okay. is this why so, is this triggering you? Let's, let me walk that through to its logical conclusion, yeah. though, because we often used to hear this from conservative Christians where they oh, you know, you don't teach this stuff because then you know, the society will fall apart. Why? Because a lot of the times those very conservative Christians who are like very vocally anti-gay, they themselves harbor those feelings and they repress them. And so they think well, everybody has those feelings. It's not just me. And so if you allow people- you Can't let this shit out if of If you bed. allow people yeah. to just suck a dick, then they're just going to suck dicks all day long and nobody's going to reproduce. Yeah. So there's going to be no kids for the future generation. <laughs> I genuinely think that that's where it comes from. I think that that's the thought process. So, but yeah, to your point, like, I don't, that's not a thing people, and maybe I'm wrong, but that's not a thing that people just like casually try out. You know what I'm saying? Like, it is who you are if you want to do certain things like that. And if you are just dabbling, okay, then you're a little bit bi. Like, that's it. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It's not like... Which is not... Yeah, which yeah, is not... Who cares? Who cares? World who cares? ending who cares? or it's civilization never be, defeating or never anything. It's never going to be 100% like. of people are gay. or You know what I'm saying? That's <laughs> never going to be the case. Yeah. But Max, that's the fear. That's what they say. Sorry. How do you um, how do you go about picking topics? Walk us through a little bit of your process because uh, like we were saying before, the thing that really impressed me in particular is your thoroughness. Like you clearly do a lot of research. You go through a lot of different articles. You always come to like very sort of well thought out and well formed conclusions, whether people agree with them or not. And I usually do more times than not. Um, how do you choose what to cover and how do you go through your process to come to a video? Uh, well, I mean, first of all, thank you. I appreciate all of the comments that y'all are throwing at me. It, it honestly does mean a lot because I do look up to you guys in this space. But, um, you know, number one, I would say I kind of do obsessively almost to a detrimental point, uh, watch everybody, a lot of content creators mm. videos. I watch a lot of other political commentators and just kind of get a feel for how people use their rhetoric in, in different ways, whether you're a social Democrat or an open communist or even you no know, conservatives in some cases. Let me, like let hear, me pause you. Let me pause yeah. you there. Is there anybody that who might not be like, you know, obvious or on our radar that we should check out that you find to be uh, interesting, whether you fully agree with them or not? I mean, I'd have to think about that for a second because there's definitely yeah. a list of, of probably, 
you know, a dozen different channels out there that I feel like are underappreciated and that that don't get nearly enough attention. But, you know, off the top of my head, I don't know if I could come up with one that y'all haven't necessarily heard of before. But um, I mean, I watch I watch a lot of people. I mean, I watch Breaking Points. I watch uh, Kyle's show, obviously, as I said, I watch The Humanist Report, uh, David Dole, all of these, you know, Hakeem, other other random leftist socialist, smaller comment uh, commentators and all that. But on top of that, I, I just also kind of obsessively I'm keeping up with the news all the time and mm-hmm. just constantly reading articles and constantly, you know, creating lists of different stories that I can that I can use and then try to basically just figure out how I can thread them together mm-hmm. in a coherent way and try to have some sort of, I don't really script any of my videos or have, you know, any outline necessarily of what I'm going to talk about before I do it. But Mm. I like to have, I like to have sort of an overarching message that I'm trying to build to towards the end of the video. So that kind of helps me keep my mind coherent through all of it. But in terms of topics, I mean, I like to center most of my topics around uh, whether it's anti, you know, anti-capitalism or or an anti-imperialist perspective. I like to look at foreign policy issues like the recent, uh, uh, Israeli assassination of uh, Shireen Abu Akhla, uh, or you know whether it's uh, you know things like uh, uh, co- issues with corruption or the union drives as well. I like talking about uh, the labor movement and all I of that. I saw you good covered stuff, the Australian election, which is really interesting too. Yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty interesting. Um, honestly, I don't know that much about Australian politics, which I probably should know a little bit more about because I am actually half Australian, hmm. but. Um, I should probably know a little bit more about that, but yeah, that was really interesting. I, I, you know, wish we had something like that happen here in the United States. And was there something in particular, have you always been into politics? Have your views always been on the left or is there something in particular that sort of like sparked a political interest for you or changed your viewpoint? Yeah. I mean, I'd say, I'd say there's probably a couple things from a really young age. First of all, my family, I come from sort of a family of journalists. My, my, both my parents were in journalism. My dad still is. Hmm. Uh, he's uh, been a war correspondent for wow. years now. Um, and so he, when I was growing up, was going to really dangerous war zones, like in Iraq and Afghanistan and, and Syria, et cetera. And uh, I think that he initially definitely gave me that initial like spark of an anti-imperialist view of U.S. foreign policy, just, you know, getting getting a view of it directly from somebody who's been on the ground, who's mm. interacted, you know, with just random families and, and children and experiencing the, uh, the like terror that they have faced on a daily basis due to our, you know, involvement in their countries overseas. So I think that he probably is more responsible than anybody for driving in that initial like anti-George W. Bush or, you know, anti-Iraq war, anti-U.S. imperialism uh, views initially in me. But then I would say I really more doubled down and got focused in politics around the time of the 2020 election with Bernie Sanders and really just kind of doubled down on the domestic politics as well and started learning a lot more about it and then created my Twitter account and then inevitably, you know, ran away with me. Um, You mentioned that you like to watch a lot of the uh, other lefty content. What do you make of uh, the lefty, I don't know what you want to call it, blogosphere, YouTube sphere, host sphere, whatever you want to call it, in in the sense that I used to watch a lot of stuff too, but I've, you know, recently on top of, you know, a year or two ago, I stopped reading all my social media replies, but um, I also don't really watch that much other stuff now either for two reasons. Number one, I do feel like it helps to not taint the perspective that I have up front. Oftentimes, if I hear a different perspective from one of these people, um, I might end up 
real, consciously or not, sort of taking the point mm. and making it my own. Mm. And it might not even have been something that would have occurred to me either way. And I think it's better for me to flush it out on my own first before I have any input mm -hmm. from elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So that's one reason. Then the other reason is to keep it real, like, there's a lot of vitriol in the space, man. Like, you know, I try my best. I know you try your best too. I'm, ne I'm never, ever, ever going to be the one who starts some shit. That's not what I do. I don't start shit. I don't punch sideways. I punch upwards, right? But there's a lot of people who don't agree and don't do that. And in this space, there's a lot of vitriol pettiness. and pettiness. Yeah. So what do you make of that? Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, for sure. I mean, you know, like you said, like it's a lot of pettiness. And honestly, I... You know, I've definitely been put in positions before where I could have started something or could have, you know, tried to call somebody out or, you know, point out something like that. But honestly, the main thing for me is that I just don't really find that type of shit that interesting. I don't think that it's worth me, you know, making a video about some other content creator to even, you know, spend my time doing that. Or, you know, a lot of it is also kind of complicated and I'm trying to keep up with like the news and everything else that's going on and stuff. So like to try to add another track in my mind to keep keep track of the different like various personal beefs and all of that between content. I'm just like, I, I that's don't want to do a this. brain power. That would take yeah. all day. <laughs> yeah, keep track always, of all yeah, the literally. beefs would take yeah. all fucking day in this space. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and this is uh, another reason why guys, you should go and subscribe and you should, um, we'll put a link to your Patreon as well, because um, that your content is definitely true to just pure substance. And the fact of the matter is part of why People, you know, lean into these sort of like beefs with other creators. Click well. Because it clicks. Because it clicks. 100%. It clicks. You put, 100%. You put somebody else's name in your headline and you're, this one's going after that one. This one calls out that one. Shit gets really good view counts. And it's just, so, it's just blood sports. It's just that, you know, same with the, uh, you know, the whole debate scene and all of that. I just yeah, feel like it, exactly. it's not really producing much in terms of like substance or like adding to people's people's understanding of what's going on. If anything, I feel like it really just confuses people even more and That's gives true. people yeah. this tribal sense of understanding of politics. Like I have to pick this commentator and they don't like that one. So, you know, I, I can't hear their perspective or whatever it may be. It's just, it's all just dragging us, dragging the left down in general. Yeah, my rule is as long as it comes back to substance, I'm okay with talking about it. So in other words, I might use some sort of conflict among media hosts or politicians as a hook to bring people in to then talk about the substance. So it's right. not, I'm not trying to do some holier than thou thing. We all engage in that to one extent or another. The question is, do you link it back to substance? And in terms of me trying to avoid, you know, going after other content creators, that's just because I'm a non-confrontational person and I don't want to derail my show and make it all about some dumb shit where the personal stuff comes first. Because who gives a fuck about the personal stuff in the grand scheme of things? Somebody could go back 60 years from now and watch a video like you did on the shooting of the Palestinian journalist. Yeah. And that still is nutritious as fuck because you learn and you understand what's going on and it gives you a, a more well-rounded perspective. But any 60 years from now, you go back and look at some of this petty bullshit beef nonsense that Six goes on in this space. From now and yeah, it's and it's like, what the <laughs> yeah. fuck was everybody doing? Like, what is wrong with all of you? Just, just grow the fuck up. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is none of us are really big enough to like, be one thing if the left was some like, national juggernaut and that these little, you know, nuances of this one feels that way and this one feels the other way and we've got to decide because we're going in this direction. Like, we're not big enough to be worthy of, like, just these internecine battles. Let's focus on solidarity. Let's actually build a real political project, lean into the things that we all have to agree are really good, like the labor movement, like you brought up, and see if we can actually get something going. I, I don't even yeah. know. I don't even care if it's solidarity. I just want 
fucking detente. Just like, oh, look, you do your thing. I'll do my thing. Like, it is what it is. I'll, I won't get in your way. You won't get in my way. Yeah. Call it a day type well, shit. Well, I, I would... I would push back that you don't believe in solidarity because that's part of why we're having Mac on this show because he's doing a great job and, you know, worthy of being elevated. And But I'm know. saying among people who despise each other. Yes. And I don't despise Mac and he doesn't despise me. So that's fundamentally <laughs> different. Anyway. Which is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. We'll see what happens. Yeah, exactly. Um, Mac, tell people where to find you on Twitter, your YouTube, and also your Patreon. Uh, yeah, so everything just should be under the same name. Just good politic guy on Twitter, YouTube, It's a great Twitch. name, by the way. <laughs> I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I spent a lot of time coming up with that one. <laughs> um, but yeah, YouTube, Twitter, uh, uh, Twitch as well. I'm going to be live streaming much more consistently soon. And, oh, cool. and uh, yeah, so uh, that's that's where y'all can check me out. What's, but, do you like Twitch? Is that like, what's your favorite platform? I, I mean, honestly, I like, I kind of like Twitter the most because that's my brain has just been at this point so thoroughly rotted that I kind of enjoy a lot of the fucked up shit that goes on on Twitter. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I definitely, I, I do kind of want to transition a lot of my content towards live streaming and stuff because, yeah. you know, w with the algorithms, with everything else that we were talking about, I do feel like that's more of an emerging, I guess, market where more people are interested in that direct community building aspect of it. So uh, I'll be trying to move a lot of my content to, you know, Twitch and, and live streaming on YouTube and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, those are the main places that you guys can check me out. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a smart move. I honestly do. Um, and YouTube should take note because you're going to focus more time on a different platform because they're fucking Yeah, you. guys, just yeah. help us, help every single one of us here beat the algorithm as much as humanly possible. So go subscribe to Mac, go help him out on Patreon. Also subscribe to this show as well and click the bell icon because that does help and that it gives you notifications. Back in the day, YouTube used to do automatic notifications when people live streamed. So somebody would go live stream. I would get like 10,000 or 15,000 people watching when I live stream. They took away the automatic notification when you live stream and now people get like, one tenth of what they used sometimes, to get. Sometimes I get my notifications for like different live streams or, uh, you know, videos that I have for certain channels. I'll get them like a day later or like but, five hours after the event actually happened. Look, guys, we're never like, we need to defeat this algorithm by any way possible. So share all the stuff around, subscribe to everybody. We really appreciate it. Mac, you're the man. Keep up the good work, man. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, great to meet you, yeah. Mac. Uh, it's great to meet you too. I greatly appreciate you guys having me on. Our, Our pleasure. pleasure. All right, so that was Mac, a.k.a. Good Politic Guy. Look, I know people are probably tired of hearing me beat the drum of, like, suppression, 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 YouTube's annoying, but, like, it makes a big difference. It really does. Well, this It's is the difference between treading water and actually growing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and like you said, like, for us, okay, we're fine, but it does mean for us that you don't reach a broader audience. You're not able to grow not only our channels, but, you know, what people out there in the general ecosystem are able to hear. They're only getting fed the mainstream narrative. But then I think you see it really clearly with Mac. Like any of you go watch any of his videos. You're going to see a high level of professionalism. You're going to see really thoughtful content. You're going to see it's really well delivered. He's doing everything right on the thumbnails. Like it looks good. The titles are good. The whole thing. Substantive topics. Substantive topics. Good, interesting commentary. He's doing everything right. And he just gets completely fucked. And so that means that, you know, new people aren't going to see him, that new creators who are out there that we have no idea about are never going to be able to get off the ground because they just can't get any oxygen whatsoever. And that is a major, major loss, especially if you care about independent media, if you see all the flaws of corporate media, which I know that everybody watching the show probably does because most of America does. Um, 
you know, this algorithm is incredibly pernicious in terms of snuffing out any kind of competition. I genuinely hope that at some point they change it, they tweak it. Because there was a time on YouTube where it was more of a meritocracy, Mm -hmm. where like the harder you work, the further you go. The more views you get, views beget more views. So if you had, if you rode a wave and you got a little bit of popularity, then your stuff was served to all new people. Yeah. And I don't foresee it changing, but I really hope it does because- um, They'd have to, they'd have to view it as in their business best, like that it would increase their bottom line. Like for example, if they saw a lot of great creators leaving the platform and there's, you know, and their viewership dropping and they're unable to serve, it all comes down to the corporate ad dollars. That's what they care about. That's why they surface the quote unquote authoritative content because they think that that's safer for their corporate advertisers. So it would have, the business model would have to change. I mean, that makes me feel like maybe we all should flee the platform, but you're never going to get all the people on the same page to do it. And even if you got all of lefty YouTube to do it, they'd probably be like, See ya. Yeah. Because we're like a little blip. Small potatoes. Little blip. Small, I mean, makeup radar. channels That's, dwarf the shit out of us. It's you totally know? true. So, totally true. I don't know. I don't have all the answers except to beg you guys for help and support, both for us and for Mac. Mac is brand new in the space and, you know, help, help, help get him a little bit of sub growth, some views. We'd really appreciate that, guys. And if you like this show, uh, you can go to Substack, $5 a month, get you the video, video of the show, and it gets it to you a day early. Uh, you could also sign up for free. And if you do that, you get the audio podcast a day later. It'll drop on Saturday. It'll be right in your email box. And so uh, thank you to everybody who already is with us on Substack. We appreciate you guys. We love you guys. And we'll see you soon. We'll talk to you next week. See y'all next week. <laughs>